Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We're at 9 Lesson 79. And last time we're in the book of Luke, chapter 24. And in verse 44, let's, uh, let's repeat this one because it is a very critical uh, uh, scripture here. Many people are not uh, following this uh, example of Jesus Christ anymore because they've departed so far away that now it seems to be strange to many people with the exception of one community that constantly is still using it because that's the only knowledge that they have. And that's speaking about the Jewish community. Anyway, in verse 44, this is what Jesus Christ told two of his disciples who were both Jews and he used the language that he always used and always did use in the past and in his writings to the future generations and in the future that has never been changed but by those who became members of the counterfeit church and unfortunately to this very day even those who came out of it are still using the same terminology and in doing so they are doing it oftentimes to their own detriment because that is linked to a theology that is a faulty one a false one and creates resentment and wrong attitudes toward the word of God and when God speaks past, present and future it's still valid and it's not something that you live only for the past and then you see, you think well we now have a new religion we don't need to use everything that is given in the past to another nation in ancient times in verse 44 basically he told his disciples after he spoke to them after he showed them from the prophets from Moses that he is the one and he told them in verse 34, then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. And so while he was with them for three and a half years, he preached to them from Moses and the prophets, who were the foundation of the church. The church that is, that was, and that will always be the same one. There has never been another one. And so he taught them all about it, and they were fully aware of it because they were raised in that. Now they had a greater understanding of what it means. Because even the prophets who, may, who were inspired by God, by Jesus Christ, as Peter tells us, who wrote those prophecies, oftentimes they did not understand exactly uh, all the details about it, and they were left in the dark to a degree. But here he told them exactly what they meant, and so he enlightened them, and they were not in ignorance. And so he says, these are all the words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law, in the Torah of Moses, and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so this is a message to the people of Israel. It was written to the people of Israel. It was given to the people of Israel. It was spoken by the people of Israel, prophets of Israel, and all that to Israel. It wasn't spoken to the world. There are some statements there that were spoken about the nations were given to the world also. But even that through the children of Israel, through the prophets of Israel. And anybody on the face of the earth who wants to come to God nowadays or in the past 2,000 years, in order to do so, he had to come through, the, through Moses. That means, you know, reading the words of Moses. You know, some of them chose only the Ten Commandments, but still, whatever they did choose, they still had to go to Moses. And then they went to the prophets, especially the like Isaiah, and the things that he said about Jesus Christ. And then they went to the children of Israel, the disciples of Jesus Christ, who were all children of Israel, 
And we go to them to this very day for inspiration, for guidance and direction, for morality, for knowledge and understanding. You cannot escape going through Israel when you want to come to God. There is no other way. So it is made very plain. And it's foolishness for on the part of people today to think that, well, we don't, don't have anything to do with those Jews. And of course, they think about the entirety of the nation of Israel, not and even understanding the division between them and the part of them that went into captivity and their identity was lost. And doesn't dawn on them that they are worshipping the God of Israel, they're reading the writings of the prophets of Israel, they're following the teachings that were given by the disciples of, you know, of Israel. And they must acknowledge their objective that there is no other way to God but through Israel. And that's the way God chose it. And that's the way he inspired the one that became his son to speak through the prophets of Israel and the disciples of Israel to the entirety of the whole world. And that's what the whole process is all about. That God chose Israel and through Israel is bringing light to the nations, be it through Moses or the prophets or the disciples or later on, the entirety of the nation that will be involved in it, and specific the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Well, we read in Ezekiel that they're going to inhabit the city of Jerusalem, representatives of all the tribes of Israel, and anybody who wants to come to God to receive knowledge and truth, the law of God, the law of the Torah of God, is going to have to come to Jerusalem. And there the children of Israel who reside there are going to illuminate the entirety of the, of the, of the earth. That is, the representatives of them that would come and show them the way of God. And so God made it very plain in so many ways, from the beginning until the end. Only the blind miss it and reject it. Only those who don't have, don't have ears to hear have a problem with that and don't have eyes to see with and no heart to understand with. The messages flash all over the place. And so this is what he's telling them here. And so I thought I'll repeat this one because people, and unfortunately even people of God, many of them have forgotten this simple basics. John, uh, let's go now to, uh, to the book of John, chapter 1 and verse 11, where we read, And he came to his own, speaking about the God of Israel, the husband of Israel, he came to his wife, where else would he go? husband goes to his wife. He doesn't go to somebody else's wife. He came to his own. That's his wife. That's his people. And of course at the time only a part of them were there, but still nevertheless. A part or, or all of them. That's his people and that's his wife. And he came to his own and his own, his wife, did not receive him. No more than they did in the past many centuries. Not even in Mount Sinai. They said, well, you know, you Moses, just speak to us. We don't want God to speak to us. We don't want a husband to talk to, the, to us. Nothing new under the sun. And yet, that doesn't mean that Christ rejected them, no more than he did in the past many centuries. The marriage continued even though they worshipped the golden calf in Mount Sinai, on the honeymoon, so to speak. But, as many as received him, in other words, it doesn't mean that all of, all of his own rejected him, there were always many who received him. There were always many in the children of, among the children of Israel that received him. So weren't the majority... But there weren't only one or two. There were many. As many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God. They were the children of God all along. But now they're going to be the children of God of the Father by having the Holy Spirit that comes directly from him and begets them as his sons. And that's what he's talking about here. In other words, 
Before that, they were all chosen to be the children of God. And yet, if they were not to walk with God and obey the voice of God and walk in His path, and then he, if He doesn't give them His Spirit, they will just remain His children in, in a physical sense. But He ultimately wanted them to become the Israel of God. That's why He told them from the beginning, circumcise the foreskins of your heart. And He told them that through Moses. That message didn't come with Jesus Christ. That came with Jesus Christ through Moses. In other words, it didn't come 2,000 years ago. That came from the beginning. So they were given the choice. And as many of the time as received that message, they walked with God. You see, for example, the 70 elders who received the Holy Spirit. They would not have received the Holy Spirit to be able to govern Israel with Moses unless they believed and had their hearts circumcised like Joshua and like Caleb and the 70 elders and who knows how many others as time went by. As Moses said to Joshua, you know, I wish that all of Israel will be prophets. And yet, unfortunately, the majority did not choose that. And so that was the story from the beginning until the end. So it was obvious that when he comes, if they have not received him all this time, obviously they are not going to receive him now because their heart was not right. And they were not willing to walk in his path and his commandments. And so that's what happened. And yet for the many who received him, as it was in the past. There were always those who were spiritual among Israel. But the majority chose to be physical. And God says, okay, I'm going to allow you to be physical. But until the time comes when I say now and no more, until now, you see. And then he's going to make them go through the tribulation. And he's going to purge them and purify them. And he's going to set his hand to deliver them and to save them. And all of Israel shall be saved. Some people say, well, Israel failed. What do you mean failed? If God chose them to do a job, if you say Israel failed, you say God failed. And God never fails. That's not a correct statement. Because you're looking only on the temporary. You see? God looks on the permanent. And the permanent is that Israel is going to achieve the, the, the objective that God chose Israel for. So Israel didn't fail because Israel to begin with did not even start. And you don't fail when you haven't even started. So it's a human concept and a human understanding and a human way of looking at it when you say, well, God gave Israel a job and they failed. No, they didn't fail. They didn't even start. God was going to bring them back. Just like the parable that Jesus Christ gave about the prodigal son. You might look at him and see the condition in which he is after he left his father and wasted all of his money and uh, went into all kind of uh, wild ways. And if you looked at it humanly, you said, say, well, that son failed. That's not what the, the father, the way he looked at it, he knew already the end of the story. That son is coming back. And he's coming back to him. And he's going to be obedient to him. He's going to do his will. So how can you say that he failed? You see, when you say failed, you're talking about the bottom line, the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. But unfortunately, we look at too many things humanly instead of from the point of view of God. And therefore, we miss many, many points that God is making very plainly and we don't understand them. We must learn to think like God. Look at the story from the beginning until the end. Then, like with the incorrigible who are going to be thrown in the lake of fire, then you can say, but those, they failed. Because that was the bottom line for them. That's the end of the story. But you can't say that about Israel. The judge is not over yet, and to begin with, all along, 
There were those that always responded to God. So you, can say that, you cannot say that Israel failed. And even when you say as a whole, they never failed because they haven't started yet doing what God wanted them to do. And that's why he's going to, to uh, make a new covenant with them and circumcise the foreskin of their hearts and pour his spirit upon all flesh, all of Israel, and bring them back to himself. That's why he came and atoned for them. To say that Israel failed means that the sacrifice of Christ was to no avail, was in vain. And it wasn't in vain. It was to bring back Israel to himself and through them to reach the entirety of the whole earth because that's the way the Father had chosen to do his work. He could have chosen any other way. He hasn't done it. And it's because we do not think like God, therefore we come up with all these false doctrines and false understanding and misinformation and we think it's biblical. And so we say, well, Israel failed, now God chose us. Well, then God is a failure. And this is true. But it's not true. God is not a failure. What he started, he will finish. Some people can look at David when he sinned, when he did the horrible thing that he did, murder and adultery, and say, well, God failed. Here is the Son of God, and he just failed. Look what he's doing. But that was not the end of the story. And so it is for Israel. And so must we look at this. And that's the reason. People who have not read the entirety of the story, they come to the New Testament, and they read a statement like this, that Christ came to his own and they received him not, and that's it. People say, well, that's it. He rejected them because they didn't receive him. That was the end of them. And now he chose us. Well, that shows great ignorance. That shows people who really do not know God. Only partially. That's just people who do not know the whole story. And they speak before they investigate. And God tells us very plainly. The one that speaks before he hears the whole matter is a fool. And so were many of us, and so are still many of us, a bunch of fools. As far as God is concerned, when we speak like that. Think like God, and you would be wise. Consider the whole matter before we speak. And so this is the message that he's telling us. Yes, he came to his own and they rejected him, but that's on a temporary basis, just like the prodigal son, or just like the son that uh, uh, Jesus Christ used again. He told him, go do the such and such, and he says, no, I don't want to go. And then he told somebody else, another son, go do this and this, and he says, okay, I will. But what happened? The one that said I will never did, and the one that said I would not, turned around and changed his mind and came back and did it. And that's where Israel is. That's the reason why I give that parable. And if people do not look at the, uh, the whole story from the beginning until the end, they don't see it properly. And we must learn to see it from God's point of view. And let's go now to verse 17. Verse 17, we read the, the, the Torah, that is the, the law, was given through Moses. That means that Christ himself is the one that gave it to Moses to give it to Israel. But he gave it through Moses. You see, he gave the Ten Commandments personally himself to Israel when he spoke. But then he wrote it on tablets, and Moses took the tablets and gave it to Israel. When God, really, what he wanted to do is to write it on their hearts personally and directly, as he's doing today, as he's been doing uh, from the beginning of time for all those who respond to him. And so he writes his laws in their heart, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets and saints 
and many of us hopefully. Uh, so the law was given through Moses to the children of Israel, were carnal, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But grace is not given to anybody who rejects the law. Some people think, well, the law just was for Moses and for his people. Uh, we don't have anything to do with that. Uh, we just want grace and truth. What is truth? The word of God is truth. What is the word of God? Whatever God says. And God came to Mount Sinai and spoke those words. That's truth. And anytime he speaks and gives us instructions from beginning until the end, that's truth. So truth is all around the world. Everywhere, from the beginning until the end. And so when he says that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, you have to understand what he's talking about. God gave them first the law, but if they were not willing to circumcise their heart, he was not going to, to show them grace because he made it very plain that he is a jealous God. That people that worship him, that obey his commandments, that keep his way, that keep his path, he will show them grace. He will be gracious to them. And so when Moses told, asked God, the one that was Jesus Christ later on, show me your glory, when he came and spoke to him, he says, this is what he said, you know, the Lord, the Lord is gracious, full of mercy. Yet, on the other hand, he said, the people that worship me and keep my commandments, you know, he's going to... Uh, to uh, bless them and be with them and protect them and deliver them. Yet those, he said, who hate, you know, me and, and do not want to keep my law, he's going to persecute them to the third and the fourth generation. So understand, you know, the context of law and grace. You see, grace is a part of the law. Because in the law of Moses, that God spoke to Moses, he already said it very plainly. The people who keep the commandments will have grace. Those who don't, wouldn't. It's as simple as that. And so now that God was going to atone for the sins of his people and write his laws in their hearts and they're going to be obedient, he's going to give them grace and he's going to expound the truth, the ultimate purpose of their existence and the purpose of his sacrifice to atone for them and to purge them and to purify them and to present them to the Father when they're fully mature and they're going to become sons of God like he is. And if you don't put the two together and you think, well, this is two separate things, you miss the whole point. And that was the story of Israel. The story of Israel was very plain. You, if you obey my laws and commandments and statutes and judgments, then I will. And that's when grace comes in. I'll give you blessings. It's the grace, you know, the grace of God that gives us blessing. But... That comes only after obedience. In other words, grace is conditional. There is no such a thing as law versus grace. There is no grace without law. And law means Torah, means instructions, means teachings. And one of the teachings of the Torah is grace. That you receive grace if you are obedient to God. And God will give you the truth if you are obedient to Him. If you have appreciation for it, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this was the message to Israel. And if Israel cannot understand it and fully comprehend it and fulfill it, then the world is going to be in trouble in that sense. But Israel will because God is going to make it so. And he made it so. And he said through the prophets that he's going to bring it to pass. But Israel will come back to him. He will make a new covenant with them on better promises now. He's going to you know, circumcise the foreskin of their hearts. He's going to show them grace, give them the truth, and they're going to be his people, and they will be the light of the nations. So we should never think, you know, like the Gentiles, so to speak, 
or the false church and believe their theology that Israel failed, that God rejected his people. God made it very plain. And that's the reason why we're going very thoroughly through this series. To show what God said about his own church, not what the world did. And to show that God is true and every man is a liar. And many of us have been fed with lies and believe in them. And unfortunately our theology is full of lies. And God says, you come out of Babylon or else you're going to be a part of it because you're full of lies like Babylon. So let's go now to verse 29. Where we read, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he's going to take the sin of the world. You think he's not going to take the sin of Israel? Israel is the first one that is going to take their sin because they came to his own first to atone for the sins of his own and to atone for the sins of all of humanity who are coming to God through his own. When his disciples uh, became his disciples and followed his path and his way and had faith and had the Holy Spirit and were baptized and then Pentecost came, what is it that they did? What was their commission? You go into all the world. Who were they? Children of Israel. So how did the world receive the truth and the light and knowledge and understanding? The ones that God was calling through Israel. Was there any other way? It was no other way because they're the only ones who were sent because they were the members of the body of Israel that is called the witness. They were the witnesses. And people forget that. That without Israel there would be no so-called New Testament and there would be no so-called Old Testament and there would be no word of God. Because God chose through them to reveal his word. Can you go to any other book on the face of the earth and find this truth? So you see how ridiculous it is to think that Israel failed. John and James and the prophets and Moses and all that, they were all Israel. How can you say that Israel failed? As Paul would say later on, what if some didn't believe? So their unbelief, you know. In other words, just because some didn't doesn't mean that everybody didn't. So you can, you can never say that Israel failed, not even uh, uh, in the past. Because some of them always believed, as we read here, as many as received him, speaking about his own people. And so this is what we read in, uh, in verse 29. The next day Jesus came uh, toward him, that is John, and, the, and this is what John said. He's the one that takes the scene of the whole world. And this is he of whom I said after he comes, a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. What does it mean he was before me? Some people you know, think that Jesus Christ was just created at that time. That's it. John is saying the same thing that Jesus Christ said himself to his own disciples, to the people of Israel, to, the, to those who were rebelling against him, speaking evil of him, the Pharisees and scribes and the high priests. He told them before Abraham was, I am. What does that mean? Unless he was God that now became flesh. How can he be during the time of Abraham unless he were God? He's not speaking here. He's not saying that I was an angel. No, he was God. He was the God of Israel. He was the hope. He was the eternal. He was the rock of Israel. He was the husband of Israel. And I came in the flesh to atone for the sins of his wife. First to teach his wife. Give him an opportunity. And many of them responded. And then ultimately to die for the nation and for the whole world. And that's what John is speaking about here. That this man that is before me has been there long before I was born. 
And then verse 31, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. He could have said to the world, but he said to Israel. Because Israel is the wife, is the center of all things. And Jesus Christ is the center of Israel. And Jesus Christ is the center of all things too. And he's the God of Israel. The body, you know, and the head are one. And that's why both of them are the center of everything. And so he says, he came, uh, and I did not know him, but he, but that he should be revealed to Israel, and he was, and therefore I came baptizing with water. And whom did he baptize? Israel. It was Israel that came to be baptized. So they can come, and how were they baptized? By first repenting of sin. And what is sin? Transgression against the Torah. See, the two go together. And so John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained, and it remained upon him. Of course, those who wanted to believe in the false doctrine of the Trinity, they changed the wordings to fit their own theology, showing their own ignorance, and they're going to have to deal with it when the time comes. And so he says in verse 33, I did not know him, speaking about the Christ, but he who sent me, speaking about the Father, to baptize with water, say to me. And John was the only one, in essence, of all the prophets that were sent by the Father. Because now Christ was in the flesh. So obviously the Father is the one that now continuing the work from above. And as it is, he's been always busy anyway with his children, though people did not recognize that, and Christ made it very plain. I see the Father raise the dead, heal the sick, and I do likewise. In other words, the Father is busy doing it too. And so he said, the father said to him, the one that sent him to baptize with, with water said to me, he said, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now, all of us are sons of God, but this is not speaking about just a kind of a son. He's speaking about the one that came from God, who is God, therefore he's the son of God, not only in terms of, of a name like all of us are, or the fact that we were created by God. He's speaking about the ultimate concept of it. That if you come from your father, you're just like your father. If he's a human being, you're a human being. If he's a monkey, you're a monkey. If he's God, you're God. And that's the nature of, of things. That's the way God made things to be. So people have a difficult time understanding understanding that because of blindness, because of lack of faith. And when people have lack of faith, well, what can they do? Well, they may think that they are wiser and they know better. And so in verse 45, we continue to read, Philip found Nathanael, Nathanael, that's in Hebrew, Nathanael means God gave, Nathan means God, and El, God, and say to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the Torah and also in the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God. Oh, that is the son of Joseph. And so, it was very plain to Israel that God was coming to them. And so when he came, the one that had faith, the one that had eyes, the one that had a heart, they perceived and understood. And the rest were blinded. Until the time when God said he's going to remove the blinder. And they will all see and know that he is Christ. And so we read in, in, uh, 
is Zechariah 12, but when he comes down to his own people, in specifically speaking about the house of Judah, he's coming to Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, he said, and very plainly, he's making very plain to all those who are ignorant and blind today and don't even know what Christ is, he says the Eternal is coming down and is descending on the Mount of Olives, and when he comes down, the people of Judah will see him whom they have pierced. Now, did the people of Judah ever pierce the Father? Of course not. It was the Son that they did, and the Son was Jehovah, their God. And He's going to pour on them the spirit of grace and supplication, and there aren't going to be any fools among them anymore. Who, who, and, and, and among us, you know, you see them more and more out there, thinking that they are wise, they know better. And all are going to acknowledge that. And so that's, that's what he's saying here, in verse 45, that we see, we have found him of whom Moses in the, in the Torah and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46, And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Well, in other words, an attitude is there. What do you expect, you know, from Nazareth? In other words, if you want to speak about, about the prophet that Moses spoke about, well, he's coming from Bethlehem. So what are you talking about there in Nazareth? And how many prophets do you know of that ever came from Nazareth? They generally come from the house of Judah, not from uh, the northern kingdom. With the exception of uh, Elijah and Elisha and some others. But anyway, you can see an attitude there on the part of uh, the people of Judah. <coughs> especially at the time, but their own city of Nazareth. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. He could have said a Jew, he didn't. He said an Israelite because that's the name of the nation, name of the people. Now, those who have that hypocrisy and bigotry and they are among the children of Israel, when they come to the knowledge of their Israel, they turn around and say to their brother Judah, you have no right to be called Israel because we are the only ones who are Israel. Well, those are unlearned and ignorant people, obviously, and too much foolishness is in them and they don't know the scriptures as they should, and so they speak. We do not know the whole matter. And if we want to be the people of God, we should get rid of such an attitude if we have it. It's not of God. It's arrogance. And it has no basis to begin with. And so in verse 48, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, master, Wadon, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You see a man who was circumcised in his heart and had ears to hear. And there were many like him who responded likewise to one degree or the other. Who recognized their God, their maker, the king of Israel. Who is the king of Israel but their God? And people today are so blind who should have known better, who used to be among us or were still hanging around with us, some of them, and harbor this foolishness. And they have problems understanding the deity of Jesus Christ. Verse 50, Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And so the people who have no faith today, they are not able to see greater things than what they already know. And what they already know, they knew, they are losing. They are going to end up in total darkness if they continue that way. And verse 51 he says, And he said to him, that is Jesus Christ, most, uh, most assuredly I said to you hereafter, 
ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. They worship the Son of Man, and angels are not going to worship anybody but God. And that's the reason why they ascend and descend upon him and and take care of his needs. And oftentimes you read about this description where they were uh, either uh, demons or people came and worshipped because they knew that he is God. Yes, son of God in the sense of the of the of the, of the process that was uh, required to bring many sons to glory. It doesn't mean son of uh, the son of man that he is just an ordinary human being that God manifested himself in him. And he called himself the son of man, just like he referred to Ezekiel all the time, the son of man. Because he became the son of man. He divested himself of his divinity and became flesh and blood. He took on himself the nature of man. So obviously he was not now appearing as God, and so he's not going to go about and tell everybody I'm God, because he was not God. He was in the flesh. He was flesh and blood. And God is spirit. So you cannot go around and tell everybody I'm God. I mean, if you tell people that you are the Son of God, they want to kill you. Imagine if you tell them you are God. And to begin with, it would not be true in the fullest sense. And that's why when somebody came to him, he said, Good master. He said, Why do you call me good? Nobody is good but God. And at this present time, I took upon myself the nature of man, so I cannot be called good in the ultimate sense. And that should not be too difficult to understand. Now, if it's difficult for men to do such things, obviously, it's understandable, but with God, is there anything that is impossible? And if you have the kind of God that you can say, well, it's impossible for him to do that, what kind of God do you have? So that's a reflection on you, and your faith, and your state of mind, to even think that way. In chapter 4, and uh, verse 12, we read, A discussion that uh, the woman was having with uh, Jesus Christ at the well. Remember the Samaritan, and so they were talking about uh, drawing water, and he told her uh, to give him some water, and then she said, oh, "Well, he told her that he can give her living water," and she obviously doubted what he's talking about. To begin with, she didn't understand what he's talking about, and. So she said to him in verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob? Now Jacob becomes her father, and he is not their her father. You see the deception that entered there? That, you know, because they were part of, the, of uh, you might say, the counterfeit church, or because they were Babylonians. That's the other counterfeit church that has been there from the beginning, from the days of Abraham, from the days of Nimrod. And God told Abraham, You get out of the Babylon. And so he's telling his own descendants, Get out of that Babylon because they're mixed up, those people. Here are these Samaritans that come from Babylon and they inhabit, you know, now the land of Samaria. They have been brought by Assyria and because they've been there around for a while, now they claim that Jacob is their father, which is a lie. Jacob was not their father. And just because, you know, they had the partial uh, truth there because they, they learned some of the ways of Jacob and the God of Jacob, that doesn't make them children of Jacob. And yet look how people speak. People are being deceived. On one hand, she knows he's a Jew and she is not. On the other hand, she says, our father Jacob. And so she says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? And you see that, that concept of appropriating something which is not yours, just like the counterfeit church came and appropriated God and appropriated Jesus Christ and appropriated some of his teachings, rejected most, and appropriated the disciples, 
and appropriated Mary and appropriated every, every everything else and the prophets and all that and rejected the people of God. You see this attitude here. The Babylonish attitude. And some of us, unfortunately, you know, are falling for it too. And yet we forget about the people that God chose to whom the inheritance belongs because God decided it, not because they are deserving of it. And so she says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? And he did, you know, obviously he didn't give them the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons. Yes, his sons and she was not one of his descendants. Now, you see what happens to the minds of people that tell lies to themselves and them that believe it. That's the nature of the counterfeit church. And for 2,000 years we've been hearing lies and we believe it. And we parrot those things and we have convictions based on those lies. And when we read the word of God, that is very plain, we reject it. And so Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Speaking about the physical one, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a, mount, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And this is what he offered his own people. And this is what he's going to offer ultimately to the entirety of the earth. And this is what he offered in the past 2,000 years also to some of the strangers that he called and grafted to be part of the commonwealth of Israel. Not replacing Israel, but being grafted into Israel. Part of them on an individual basis. And they are not the church. There are wild olive branches who are grafted into the church. Israel is the church. Some people are so confused. They've got all kind of false concepts. Some of them are saying, well, well, uh, we can understand, you know, that uh, the people uh, that God called uh, are the church, and God is going to graft them into the church. That is, God is going to graft the church into Israel. Well, God is not grafting the church into Israel. Israel is the church. God is grafting some strangers here and there, as is always done from the beginning of time, into the commonwealth of Israel. That's why he's got all those laws about the strangers in the, in the Torah of Moses. Uh, they too should be a part of Israel and receive a part of the land of Israel. And in the future you read the same statements. When God brings back the children of Israel to their land and gives them their inheritance and every tribe is going to be in his own land, he still tells them that if they are, you know, well, those who are strangers among you, the aliens among you who join themselves to the, to the eternal, you give them a piece of land among yourselves. So they can too be a part of you. So that story has always been from the beginning until the end. But Israel is the main vehicle through whom God is going to give salvation to all mankind. And the head of Israel is the God of Israel, the one that not only is the God of Israel, but was born out of Israel too. And how Israelite can you be? How, how, how much more Israelite can you be? And we have to understand it from God's point of view. And so that's what he's telling them, that he's going to give them eternal life to those who are going to accept him. And so it was for his own children, and so it was even for the nations. But at this time, only sprinklings of them, just like sprinklings, generally speaking, only of Israel, because he's calling only the first fruits now, the foundation, who are going to be in the first resurrection, and will be the teachers of the rest. And so, the discourse goes on. And she's asking me about about this water, and of course, he's not about to give it to her at this time because her heart is not where it should be. He just told her about those things.
then we go to uh Okay, let's go to verse 19 now. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So on one hand, she said Jacob is her father. On the other hand, now she speaks about her fathers who worship in Shechem. And they know this is where they worship, in Samaria. And in contrast, the Jews, the people of Israel, worship in Jerusalem. So she's going back and forth in her confusion. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will meddle on this mountain, speaking about the one in Samaria where the Samaritans worship, nor in Jerusalem, worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. And that's what he's saying to Babylon. That woman was a Babylonian. She came from Babylon. Now they're called Samaritans because now they live in Samaria. Samaria. But she's a Babylonian woman. You don't know what you are worshipping. You know, you've got a big mixture of truth and error. You're confused. But we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And that was a plain statement. And people don't understand what he means by that. Because all Judah is going to be saved. All Israel is going to be saved. And that will be the salvation of the whole earth. And to begin with, the Jews at the time, like James and Paul and Peter and the other disciples and all the others and all the churches of Judea that Paul said to the other and, uh, uh, Gentiles that he preached to, he said, you became followers of the churches in Judea. Why? Because the oracles were given to the Jews. They were given to all of Israel. That's what he's talking about. The salvation is of Israel. That's innocent what he's saying here. Salvation is of the Jews. The Jews... At the time, because they were the only ones that were around, and as it is, some of them were Levites, some were Benjamites, some from other sprinklings of Israel, yet the majority were Jews, true. But he's speaking in generality about the entirety of the nation of Israel. And it is through Israel that God is going salvation to the entirety of mankind. And it is even through the Jews in specific that he sent the message, you know, through the disciples to the entirety of the, of the earth where they went to here and there. So it was of the Jews. Even though some of them rejected it. But he's not talking about the ones that rejected it. He's talking about the ones that, that have accepted it at the time and, and ultimately the ones who are going to fully accept it, which would be the entirety of the house of Judah. As later on you read in Zechariah, the time will come when ten people are going to hold on the skirt of him that is a Jew and tell him, well, you lead us to your, your leader, so to speak. Take us to your God because we know that he's with you. That's what he's speaking about, you know. Look at the whole picture, the entirety of the picture, the entirety of the story. Don't just say, well, they rejected, you know, Jesus Christ, and so you rejected them and chose us. That's just blindness and ignorance. You are as confused as the Babylonian is. As this woman was. And she's going back and forth. And has no proper knowledge and understanding of the whole story. And so, nevertheless, he tells her in verse 23, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. You see, not mixture of truth and error, as we do, unfortunately, many of us do. Because we still have uh, Babylon in us to a degree. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. There aren't many of those. Aren't many who are willing to acknowledge, yes, I've been wrong, I've been lied to all my life, and I believe lies, and I had convictions based on lies. 
But if we are that kind of people that were willing to acknowledge that, these are the kind of people that God is seeking for. Because they aren't easy to find. Verse 24, God is spirit. God is holy. God is Holy Spirit. That's why he's oftentimes addressed as the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ is God, and he is spirit, and he's addressed also as the Holy Spirit. And the prophets still addressed him as the Holy Spirit now and then. Some people are not aware of that because they don't know the Bible as they should. That's the reason why Paul oftentimes, when he talked about the Spirit, he's speaking about Jesus Christ. And the Spirit's, you know, said separate unto me, Barnabas and, and Paul. Acts chapter 13, and the ignorant who those who do not understand, who have only bits and pieces of the information that are totally confused and mixed up, were Babylonish understanding of the Bible, confusing, confusion in other words, they come across scripture like that and said, aha, the Holy Spirit is a person, and he's a third person. Yes, the Holy Spirit is a person, person of Christ, or the person of the Father. And if it's not talking about a person, then it's speaking about his, his power, his emanation, that's something else. They have to separate between the two. And those who are who, who do understand, who understand the whole story, who know it very well from the beginning until the end, they don't can, can get confused when they come to scriptures like that that seem to be confusing uh, when you first see them. That's confusing to the unlearned, as Peter would say. And so that's what he tells all of us. That God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not in a mixture not with the wine of Babylon, where we are confused, not with a mixture of truth and error. And God seeks those kind of people who do want to serve him only in truth and in spirit. And if we're in the constant attitude of wanting to learn and acknowledge the fact that we do not know all things and therefore we may be wrong and therefore we're willing to repent, then we can worship God in truth and in spirit. And as time goes by, we have a better understanding. So we worship him more and more in truth and in spirit. And that's what he's talking about. Well, we're going to break now. And uh, this is a natural break here. This is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions. The Bible has answers.